0: It's good to be back with you uh, this morning. Uh, Jan and I were out of town last weekend, so I missed seeing your faces. So it's so good to be back here with you this morning. Um, we're still working out kind of a little bit of a new format. We've got a projection screen now. You may have seen we're on Instagram now. Just as your grandmother was getting on TikTok, we now have an Instagram. It's amazing yeah. how forward we are. Um, and so I didn't pull it off today, but. Something I like to do when I preach, I like to have some charts that kind of help you kind of, you know, understand what I'm talking about. And there's a Venn diagram that I really like. I wasn't able to get it for today, uh, but maybe next time. And it's a Venn diagram of preachers and bank robbers and DJs. Have you guys seen this? It's a really great Venn diagram. Explains a lot about my life. Of course, in the middle, intersecting all these things, what they all have in common is put your hands up, right? They all say that. And then, of course, the preachers and the bank robbers, they both say, give me all your money, right? And, and we know this. And as someone who is a preacher, son of a preacher man, but also worked at Chase Bank, and while I worked at Chase Bank, we were robbed by gunpoint. And so that Venn diagram I just really hits home with me. And I've never been a DJ, but I feel like I'd be pretty good at it. You know, I feel like I could do that pretty well. So... Um, We are gonna be talking about money today, just a little warning, a little disclaimer. I know this can make some of us feel uncomfortable, and let's just admit there's a lot of bad stuff out there. There's a lot of uh, preachers, televangelists that seem like they're running an operation where it does really seem like they're just trying to get your money. And so there's part of us in the church that would rather just almost maybe never talk about money because there's just so much bad toxic stuff out there. But then it turns out something the church also does, we also read a lot of the gospel here in the church. And it turns out that Jesus himself, the one we're trying to follow, the one, it's, it's our goal, right? To be, be recreated in, in his image, right? Transformed into his likeness. That same person we're apprenticing ourselves to, it turns out he's always talking about money. It turns out that issues of the money deal with issues of the heart, and it turns out that they're central to following Jesus. And so we have to be able to receive from him if we want to follow him this morning. And in our gospel reading this morning, as Deacon Darrell read, there is a man that comes up to Jesus with a question. Now we don't get all the information about him in Mark's gospel, but Luke's gospel tells us that he is a ruler and Matthew's gospel tells us that he's young. So if you put it all together, we have the rich, young ruler. I mean, the guy's got it all. Think about it, right? I mean, he's got money, and he's young, and a lot of times, you're not in charge until you're older, right? But even in his youth, he's got the money, and he's in charge. He's kind of got all the stuff a lot of us want. And as Jesus was setting out a journey, this man comes up to him, and he kneels before Jesus, and he asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I don't know about you guys, but it seems like to me he has the right posture in approaching Jesus. He recognized, even though he's rich and a young and ruler, he's recognizing that Jesus is something greater. And so he kneels before Jesus, and he asks him what I think is a very good question. (laughs) He's asking about questions about eternal life. What do I do to inherit eternal life? I think he's got a good question, and I think he's posing the question to a really good person that you might want to ask that question to. What does Jesus say? Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. Now, at first that that rebuttal might seem uh, funny to us, but what you have to realize is that Jesus isn't saying something about his divinity. Jesus isn't confused about his own divinity. This guy is confused about his own goodness and what it means to be good and where goodness is truly derived from. And so Jesus names some of these commandments that he should be following, and and he says, you know, I haven't. I haven't murdered. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen. I haven't lied or defrauded anyone. And it turns out he's honored his mother and his father. And indeed, if I look at him, it sounds to me exactly like what I would call a good person. Like, this is exactly the kind of guy that I would want for my neighbor, right? He's the kind of guy you would want to raise your kids next to. Only we're going to find out that Jesus isn't asking us if we are good. It turns out that Jesus is asking us if we will do whatever it takes to follow him. Will you follow me? This is is the question from Jesus. To use some rather churchy language this morning, are you your own source of righteousness? Is the goodness in you, or does your righteousness come from Jesus, from being on the road with him, from answering his call and receiving his purifying grace, from losing your life in the life of God? In the earnest young man, he says... Teacher, I have kept all these commands since my youth. And the text says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Looking at him, loved him. I want you to know, friends, that Jesus sees you. He knows you. He sees your struggle. He sees your journey. Jesus sees him, and he loves him. And I want you to know that nothing that Jesus is about to say is going to be said with harshness or disdain. It's rather out of pure love and truth. And so Jesus truly loves this man and he truly wants this man to follow him and in doing so, to inherit eternal life. And so Jesus says, hey, there's one thing that you lack. Go and sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. And when the man heard this, he was shocked, and he went away grieving, for he had had many possessions. Now, can you feel the emotions in this story? The feeling of love and compassion, the feeling of being truly seen by Jesus, and then suddenly grief and shock. You see, this man had it all, but he lacked the one thing he needed to inherit eternal life. His love and trust of his wealth prevented him from following Jesus. Come and follow me Now this was the offer of a lifetime. Think about it, it's Jesus. The offer of a lifetime. And then after this, Jesus has to turn to his disciples and tell them something that shocks them. Something they have a lot of trouble believing. He tells them how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now I don't know about you guys, but that statement right there, it really hits home with me. Because you might not know this about me, but I'm really wealthy. I've got a home and two cars. I've got air conditioning, and indoor plumbing. I buy food that I didn't grow myself and that I don't even cook myself. I just buy it. Someone else does it. I'm so wealthy, I actually pay to work out. So like no manual labor is required of me in life, so I actually go to this place where I give them my excess money and I do work there just because. I have two college degrees. I ride on jet airplanes. I have better access to healthcare than 99.9% of all humans that have ever lived on the planet. You see, friends, when Jesus says how hard it is for those of us who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, he's talking about us. We have a better quality than most kings that have ever lived on this planet. We are wealthy people, and so this should really hit home for us, for all of us. It should cause us to stare back at Jesus and to begin to ponder these words and to ask some questions. Some very personal questions between him and us. We should be saying, well, Lord, then what? What do we do? What do we do with all this stuff that you have given us, that you have entrusted us with? Can you imagine what it would look like for this man to say yes to Jesus? Can you imagine? Imagine how his life would have been transformed. If instead of walking away sad, if he would have said, okay, let's do this, can you picture it? Do you imagine that the rest of his life might have been filled with joy? Or maybe not. Maybe remorse and regret. Maybe his testimony would have spread around the world. And indeed, his testimony did spread around the world, right? But it's a different testimony. Who knows? This guy might have become the 13th apostle, he might have written a gospel. He might have seen the resurrected Lord. What might it look like to say yes to Jesus in this situation? Well, let me give you some examples. There's a man named Anthony, born in the year 250 AD, so 250 years after Christ in Egypt. He was born to wealthy parents, had one sister around the age of 20, Anthony's parents die, and they leave him everything he has. Anthony's a good Christian man. He's walking on his way to church, and he's pondering the gospel. He's pondering how the disciples left everything and followed Jesus. And he's pondering the book of Acts, how they sold all their possessions and had everything in common. And he's thinking about that. And as he walks through the door, the deacon, probably just like Deacon Daryl, definitely, you know, wearing black, probably cool, nice shoes. The deacon is there great reading voice, and just as he walks in, he hears this verse. If you want to be perfect, sell everything you have, give your possessions to the poor, and follow me. And Anthony heard that verse and received it as if it was a word from God for himself, and he turned right back around and walked out the church, and he proceeded to do so. And so he sells 300 acres of the property that he's inherited. He puts a little bit of aside to pay for the care of his sister in a convent. And then he gives the money to the poor. And then he goes and lives a life of prayer in the desert. You see, we know Anthony as Anthony the Great because Anthony became the father of the desert fathers. And all of Christian monasticism has its roots in this movement from this one man that said, Yes to Jesus. And if you don't know, Christian monasticism has kind of saved the faith over and over again. The reason we have the word today is because monks recorded the word for us over the century. And the reason why we have the right faith is because monks have led revival movements. And we have this story of Anthony happening over and over again. It happens with Saint Francis in Assisi, who we just celebrated last Monday. It happens with Saint Ignatius of Loyola. It happens Over and over again, that these monks come and they give everything to follow Jesus and they leave, they lead revival movements. And it doesn't just happen once, it keeps happening even till today. I want to share with you guys a story, a present day story about two lawyers. One lawyer, she was born to a Jamaican immigrant family in South Florida. And I'm sure like a lot of immigrant family, they were probably instilling in her the American dream, right? Like we have come to this country, we need you to get a good education so you can get a good job and make it here, right? And she did just that. She went to the University of Florida, got good enough grades to get into law school, went to law school, and then she moved to Atlanta. And she was making it here in Atlanta as a lawyer. Some things in life didn't go as well as expected. She ended up getting a divorce. And although she wasn't a Christian, wasn't really raised in church, she found herself at Buckhead Church in their divorce class, at a divorce care class where they're caring for divorced people. Some might say, thank you for, for Buckhead Church, our neighbor's down the road. And in that class, she came to faith. In that class, she found Jesus. It wasn't long after that that Jesus called her to give up her life as a lawyer and to follow him into ministry. And so she began to work at Buckhead Church. And then soon after that, she said, you know what? I feel like I'm called. I feel like I need more training. She came to Fuller Seminary in Los Angeles. And after being at Fuller for a while, she realized, hey, maybe I'm not Baptist. Maybe I'm Anglican. And she showed up at our church. And so we trained her. And we invested in her. We hired her. And last weekend, Jana and I flew back to Los Angeles for the ordination of Tisha Hadra. She's now leading the work that we started there in Los Angeles, all because she was willing to say yes to Jesus and say bye to the American dream. That's a pretty cool story of a lawyer doing some pretty cool stuff. Let me tell you about another lawyer, also the daughter of immigrants, also living out the the American dream. Her name's Esther Esther Cho, and it turns out the call that God put on Esther's life wasn't to leave the American dream, wasn't to leave the money behind. Her husband is is a man by the name of Jen, and there was someone who would be there in place of us to take care of our church and the pastorate, just like Father Nate did here, between the time I left and the time Tisha got there, and his name's Jen Cho, and you know why he's able to say yes to the call of God on his life? You know why he's able to do the thing he's able to do? because he's got a wife that has a great, wonderful career. And she's making money and she has wealth and she's open with her wealth and she's generous. And the job that she's working, it creates space for someone like Jen to step in and to care for the church and to love the church and to build it up. Two stories of two lawyers with different callings. One lawyer is called to kind of leave it behind and to go into the ministry. The other lawyer is called to stay in place And to do well at the thing that God's called her to, the thing that God's gifted her to, so that what? So that she could live a life of generosity and a life of blessing. And those lives flow into the blessing of others. And there's a work today that Jana and I started in L.A. that continues because of God's faithfulness through two lawyers. There are two ways to be faithful. Both of these ways involve acknowledging that our wealth comes from God. Both ways involve us being open-handed with what God has given us. Both ways are a path of faith and faithful generosity. Both ways acknowledge that the kingdom of God we are inheriting is worth four more than any possession we are currently being entrusted with. And that's what Jesus is getting at when he says, hey, I, tru- I tell you the truth at the end of the gospel, none of you have left behind house or brothers or mothers or fields and all these things will, for the sake of the good news, will receive a hundredfold now in this age, brothers, fathers, mothers, sisters, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And basically what Jesus is saying is the abundance of the coming kingdom outperforms the wealth of the, of the current age that we're living in. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of like interested in finances and financial markets and all that kind of stuff. And so I went ahead and looked up when Google did its initial public offering, right? When the Google stock first went, you can buy it, right? 2004. Now once you imagine it's 2004, you've got $10,000 worth of Exxon stock it's done well. It's really performed well. Maybe you've had that stock for 10 years and it's always done good for you. Would you, I mean, Exxon's a solid company, right? It's been around for a long time. Got a lot of assets around the world. Would it be a good investment to leave that $10,000 behind and put it into something like Google, right? It hasn't been around for a long time. Like what are they doing? What are they selling? Might it be a good investment? Well, it turns out it would be a really great investment. If I've done my calculations right, it might've grown to something around $500,000 by now. Because Google has appreciated about 26% annually on average since then. It might've seemed risky, but it's a good investment. And it's kind of what it is like with the kingdom of God. It's like, we can see like, no, this thing's gonna take off. Like actually the future is gonna be really different. Like the first are gonna be last and the last are gonna be first. And as the people of God, we're people that just have a vision for that. And so it reorients how we live all of our life. I'm not just talking about with our our pocketbook. I mean, it reorients everything. Our total vision for living is reoriented because we realize that the value in the coming kingdom is so different. Things are turned around. Another guy from Egypt, Clement of Alexandria, who was actually born about 100 years before Anthony, about a... One fifty. He was a theologian and a priest. He's recognized as the father of the church. He wrote a passage on, on he wrote a, a little treatise on this passage that we read this morning. And he says, hey, it's not a good idea if we're all beggars, right? It's better for some to have money and care for, be able to care for their own needs and to be able to care for the needs of others. Riches that benefit our neighbors shouldn't be thrown away. God provides with provides with wealth for his good use. And then he says this, are you able to make right use of it? It is subservient to righteousness. Does one make wrong use of it? It is on the other hand, a minister of wrong for its nature is to be subservient and not to rule. And I think this gets at the heart of the passage. The question for us this morning, my friends, is, is wealth serving you, or are you serving wealth? Is your wealth serving you and the good purposes that God has called you for, or has it become your master? Now, I'm still new, so I don't know a lot about what's going on here. I don't know who gives what in our church. And the way Trinity works, I never even find out. So we have like We have really amazing accountants that work for us on the west side, and we have a business pastor, and they kind of, you know, they got to keep records. And so they know who gives what, but I actually never find out. And it's kind of a good way to do it. I kind of like that. So I don't know exactly who's giving what, but I know this. Here at the north side, we've got some really generous people. We've got some folks here who know how to earn money, who know how to make it, and they know how to make it grow. And we also have folks that know that their money and their life belongs, all of it, to God. And so money doesn't rule their hearts or dictate their emotions or their actions. They have money, but they're completely free. They have means, but they are generous and they use it to bless the people of God. I'm sure like you, a lot of us probably know people that don't have a lot of money, and yet are still controlled by this desire for money, and this hungry, and this tight-fisted. My point this morning is that I just want to see you be free. What's the invitation from Jesus for you this morning in this passage, in this gospel? Of course, Jesus told us the love of money is the root of every kind of evil, He said, we can't have two masters. We can't serve God and money. My friends this morning for you, I just want you to be free in all of life. I pray for you to be free, free from addictions of every kind, whether it's porn or substances or whether it's your cell phone or social media or even the controlling grip of wealth and the pursuit of it at all costs. And so we pray, Father, set us free, that we might gladly say yes to your Son and follow him wherever he may call us. Amen. I want to invite you now into a time of reflection as we reflect on what the Lord might be saying to us.